Hi, this is Justin Norman, pastor of Knobs Baptist Church. We'd like to welcome you to the Knobs Baptist Church broadcast. We thank you for joining us and we hope that you'll stay tuned for just a few moments as we have a special song and a message from God's Word.
Corinthians. And uh, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we left off there in verse 17 last week. And uh, we've seen not much of an introduction here in 1 Corinthians as we begin our study. And I believe there's a great reason why. The Apostle Paul was very clear. He was cut and dry and to the point uh, when it come to addressing these issues in the church there at Corinth. And uh, as I said, a lot of people, a lot of theologians, a lot of uh, folks I have read from and in my study as I go through this book uh, would look at uh, the church here in Corinth and see it as what we would call a problem church. And you could title our study that, A Problem Church. And, uh, you know, there's no church that's perfect. And not a one. And I tell you what, uh, we all have our ups and downs. We all have our faults and our failures. And as long as we're walking in this flesh, no doubt, I believe we are going to stumble and fall. And each and every body of Christ, uh, each and every congregation, if you will, uh, they all have their difficulties. Uh, they all have their problems. And certainly uh, this church there in Corinth was one. No doubt Nobbs is one. No doubt every church throughout the county is one. Now they're all different. And, uh, but the only thing that's the same about us, we all have problems. But we can learn from these mistakes just as Paul addressed many issues to this church here in Corinth. We've seen last week, uh, by way of introduction, we've seen last week as we laid down a foundation, uh, the great division that was had uh, within the church here in Corinth. Paul was very straightforward and getting right to the root of the problem. And he touched on this great division. Uh, certainly there was some, as he said in verse 12, Now this I say that every one of you say, saith, I am of Paul, I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Uh, certainly there were different sects or followers or uh, different divisions or uh, maybe cliques, if you will, uh, within this body. Some were followers of Paul or Apollos or even of Peter or of Christ himself. And to each one they thought they had their advantage. But uh, this wisdom which they thought they had was very uh, worldly in itself. It was worldly wisdom. And Paul begins to describe their downfall and the reason for it. Uh, we see that this wisdom of the world is nothing. It's of naught in comparison to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we see that how Paul, as he reasons with these folks here in Corinth, in verse 17, he said, uh, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Boy, that scares me. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, to know that in a man's enticing words, as Paul will go on to say, and words of great wisdom, maybe eloquent words, uh, I would hate to think that even my preaching or even my form, I just try to be myself uh, when I preach the word. Uh, but I'd hate to think that I would do or say or act in a particular way that would make the cross of Christ uh, of none effect because of maybe my wisdom. My friend, our wisdom, as we will see, is nothing in comparison to the gospel of Christ. And we see the Corinthians were guilty of placing their faith, if you will, in wisdom of men, for they were followers of men. 
Many were followers of Paul or Apollos or Peter or even Christ, you see. And they had their own little uh, cults or uh, their own little cliques. And uh, certainly it caused great division within the church. But this was not wisdom in God's sight. Paul wanted to reason with them and teach them and grow them in their faith throughout this pastor scripture. I believe it's because of this great division that was within the church. Paul begins to refute them for this worldly wisdom. Paul begins to describe their misunderstanding, if you will. And also he describes how God would use the weak and the foolish in this world. This walk of faith is not based on wisdom. My, fr my friend, it's based in the power of God. This walk of faith in which we have, my friend, we can't drum it up and make it something that it is not. For it's not based on our power, for we have none. But it's based in Christ. We see as Paul, he begins to reason with the church here in Corinth. First of all, I'd like to point out tonight how he describes how this gospel of Christ is foolishness to many. Look at verse 18. Paul said, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Certainly this gospel of Christ, this gospel message, the world would deem it as foolishness, for they see this crucifixion itself as foolishness. He said the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Boy, when we stand and preach or publicly proclaim, that's what preaching is, of this crucifixion, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, my friend, the world would see it as foolishness. Many people would look at this wonderful gospel which we preach, which we teach, which we stand upon tonight. Many people would look at this gospel of Christ and they would say it's a bloody religion. And my friend, they're right. It is a bloody, bloody religion. As we've seen Sunday, my friend, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And hallelujah, praise be to God, we have a darling Savior, my friend, that shed His blood for you and I tonight. Hallelujah. Boy, I'm thankful for that. Ain't you? I tell you what, I'm thankful we have a bloody religion. My friend, many people would look at this gospel which we preach and say, well, that's nonsense. There's no need in that. Why does this Savior of yours have to come and die for the sins of man? My friend, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise be to God. Boy, I'm thankful for the preaching of the cross, ain't you? Boy, I love this crucified Christ, that one that died for me. We can't preach about Him enough. We can't thank Him enough. We can't praise Him enough. Hallelujah. I love this preaching of the gospel. And to many, it's foolishness. This crucifixion to many is foolishness. But we also see that this power of Christ itself to many people is foolishness. Paul said, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing 
the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. But it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Hallelujah. Boy, I'm thankful that through this foolishness of preaching, hey, the world can call it foolish all they want to. It's not by man's wisdom, but it's the saving power of Christ Jesus, which we preach tonight. And my friend, they can call it foolish all they want to. They can deny the very power of God. Thanks be to God, they're saving power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Many call it foolishness. This gospel of Christ is foolish to many. We see, as Paul begins to dig in, it's not about man's wisdom. It's about Christ and His power. It's not what man can do, but it's about what Christ has already done. He points out that this gospel of Christ is foolishness to many. No doubt he says in verse 22, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greek seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. No doubt there's many Jews and Greeks in that time and even today that would desire such signs or wisdom to prove this faith. To prove by power of the preaching. My friend, it's not through signs or wisdom, my friend, which converts people. It's the power of God. It's Christ and His marvelous power which we preach. It is exemplified spiritually to a lost and dying world for people to be converted. It's not by my power. It's not by your power. We must simply, willingly, obediently preach the Word. And He does the rest. The thing is how this applies today. Boy, there's many folk that seek a sign or some form of wisdom today, don't they? Boy, you can think of many denominations that may look at things on the exterior, on the outside, and use that as some form of sign or some form of wisdom as some sort of proof to this saving grace. I know there's some denominations that look at baptism, no doubt. They may look at every ordinance in the book. They try to say, well, my friend, if you're saved by God's grace, you'll keep these things. No doubt these ordinances are important. My friend, being baptized doesn't save you no more than when I take a shower at night. I tell you what, it's good to keep these ordinances, but there's nothing in that creek water down there at Charlie Gamble's that'll wash you clean in white as snow in the eyes of God. There's no power in that water. My friend, it's through and by the blood of Jesus Christ. My friend, it's amazing how many people would look for signs or look for wisdom following this preaching of the gospel. We may see it today, whether it be in other denominations 
We may see it today, whether it be, uh, and we'll, I, me and Toby brought up a fine point, and I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but we're going to get into some of that, Toby. Paul even addresses here in Corinth some issues about speaking in tongues. It's not that speaking in tongues is a bad thing. It's biblical. Many people look at that day at Pentecost and they see God's power, how it fell, and the Holy Ghost had come upon His people in such a mighty way and they look for these signs. They think that it's evident even today that one must speak in tongues to prove their conversion. No, I don't think so. I don't know about you, I ain't never spoken tongues. The only tongue I spoke in is English. I don't know no Spanish, I don't know no other language, but no doubt, not a doubt in my mind, God could use someone in a mighty way. He could speak through someone to someone else. He even use another language. I've heard instances and cases where that has happened before, and my friend, I ain't doubt in my mind, that's God in His power reaching this lost world with this gospel which we preach tonight. Boy, we can't drum it up. We can't add anything to it. It's by His power. And this gospel to many people, they try to paint it up. They try to change it. They try to make it something that it isn't. They try to add to it as we've seen in our study in Revelation. Boy, it ain't going to do no good to add to it nor take away from it. But thanks be to God, this gospel's good enough. And it's through this foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. Paul was very clear in his reasoning that the gospel of Christ is foolishness to many, but we also see that the chosen of God are foolish to many. Look at verse number 23. We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling. Paul's telling the Corinthians there. See your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. You see, the chosen of God are foolish to many. This gospel which we preach is foolish to many. And certainly those that are chosen of God, born again believers, to proclaim this precious gospel are foolish to many. The world can look at us and see us in this so-called foolishness. For as Paul said, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble are called. The world looks at Christianity and Christians in particular. We've seen how the message itself is foolish to many, but even the messenger, the Christian, the ambassador of Christ to this lost and dying world is seen as foolish. But we see in this chosen 
people of God to bring such a message as this, this gospel of Jesus Christ, that in this choosing, in this calling, that God regards all men alike. When Paul, by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had penned this very verse in verse 26, he said, For ye see your calling, brethren. And no doubt each and every one of them had a calling. They were chosen of God to do one thing in particular or another. And God used them as the body of Christ in a mighty way right there in Corinth. God is no respecter of person. He can use someone else just as well as He can use me. He can use you just as well as He can use someone else. My friend, we see that no doubt His calling regards all men alike. For we see also that this calling is independent of human help. It's independent from our wisdom or anything that we could do or any power that we think we might have. For he said, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh and not many mighty, not many noble are called. It's not of our doing. God wants you to do something I don't know. I hope and pray you have. I don't know how you felt when God set your course doing something that He asked you to do. Boy, when he called me to preach, I felt like I was knee-high to a grasshopper. I was worthless. I was nothing. I was weak. I was pitiful. I don't know why God would want to use me in this ministry, but he chose me. I'm unworthy of it. I'm a bad example. I'll tell you that right now. But I don't know why he wanted to use me, but he did. And I'm thankful for it. And I can profess that in my ministry, in this walk of life, God's choosing upon my life, God's calling upon my life, I'm not wise. Not after the flesh. I'm not mighty. I'm not noble. My friend, not many wise, not many mighty, and not many noble are called. God decided to use the weaker vessels in this world to bring such a mighty message as this. Certainly the chosen of God are foolish to this world. They may not understand why someone like myself would stand and preach the gospel. I don't know either. But God is almighty and all-powerful. My friend, he can use anybody he wants to. He can even use you if you let him. We see that this chosen people of God are foolish to many. How he regards all men alike. How his calling is independent of any human help or power. But also we see that it is sustained by his power alone. He said in verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. 
and base things of the world, things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto, you, unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. This calling of God upon your life, upon my life, my friend, is centered and based and established around the very power and presence of God. It's not anything that you and I can do. Do you see the beautiful picture Paul is painting? When he begins to compare, in this great comparison, man's wisdom with God's wisdom. You see, in the light of the gospel and its glorious power in Jesus Christ, these little things, these little divisions that were within the church, had began to become pretty pointless, if you will. Pretty ignorant. Foolish. My friend, it's amazing how God would desire to use someone as you and I in this walk of life. We go on in chapter 2 as we've seen the chosen of God and the very message of God as well, the gospel of Christ, is foolishness to this world. But we see that this calling of God itself upon the individual, Paul begins to examine his self and open up his ministry to those in Corinth. This calling of God is foolish to many. He said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. No doubt as Paul describes his calling and how he came to those in Corinth, he said, I didn't come with enticing words, excellency of speech. I didn't, I didn't come with great wisdom declaring this testimony of God. When I came, His desire, Paul said, was to know Christ Jesus crucified. And my friend, that's what he preached. That's what he desired to know. And this calling of the Apostle Paul, no doubt many people look at him and see this calling is foolish. The very calling itself. We see in this calling how amazing it is. This calling, it examines the things that are spiritual. It doesn't look at things of the flesh. Paul said, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all Paul wanted to know. When it come to this mighty calling of God upon his life, no doubt people looked at Paul as a weak vessel. My friend, this calling was superior. Many people think this calling was pointless. We see that this calling is different from any other calling in this walk of life. For this calling examines the spiritual. 
It examines and it looks into the spiritual aspect of each and every individual. Their spiritual walk of life. I stand before you tonight and I love to talk about fishing and hunting and what you've done today. How good Mickey played uh, golf this week. I love to uh, talk to you about how work was. And I love for us to share our thoughts and ideas and burdens and what we enjoy and our likes and dislikes. And I love all these physical things. But my friend, as a pastor, I stand before you examining the spiritual matters of life. In this calling, those things are far more superior than the fleshly things that this world has to offer. Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was first and foremost on the list in this calling. No doubt the world would see it as foolish. But this calling, it examines the things that are spiritual. It also extends to things that are spiritual. For he said, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I know the only other one that could speak far better than I could tonight is Brother Kenny as far as experiences, pastorship goes. And his pastor at many different churches. He's been through times much like the Apostle Paul. As he said to this, these folks in Corinth, he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. This spiritual desire, this calling which led the Apostle Paul there to Corinth had led him to a group of people which he yoked up to and he walked with them in the trenches. In this walk of life. He said I was with you in weakness. In fear and in much trembling. Paul was right there beside him. No doubt that seemed to have been the biggest surprise as far as pastoring goes. Boy I love preaching. But it's a joy to be able to walk beside others in the congregation. To walk hand in hand with them. In troublesome times, in times of weakness, in times of fear, in times of trembling, to be able to be this spiritual pick-me-up in their life. You see, this calling, it extends into things that are spiritual. To be able to be there for the physical things, but help someone in a spiritual way. Paul said, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. Boy, the carnal man in times of trouble, what does he do? He flees. As I told Brother Bobby a little while ago, it's been a good day. It could have been a whole lot worse, he said. And praise be to God, it wouldn't. But you know, if we were still six foot under, we're winners either way. <laughs> Boy, the spiritual man can help, can lift up, can encourage that when times are hard and tough, we can all turn together to Christ. We see this special calling, though the world sees it as foolish, 
it examines and looks far past the physical. It looks and examines into the spiritual. It extends into things that are spiritual. And it exemplifies the things that are spiritual. For Paul said in verse 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It exemplifies the power of God. What you and I cannot do, this particular calling upon our life, though the world would see it as foolish. Some people look at Justin Orman and say, you're a preacher. Yep. Don't know why. Some people may say, Justin, why didn't you choose something else? I didn't choose this. God chose me. They may question and wonder and think this calling is crazy and foolish. But there ain't nothing else I'd rather do. And my friend, if you're obedient to Christ, what He's calling you to do, there's nothing else like it. When you're following in simple obedience to His command, there's power in that. It exemplifies things that are spiritual. This world would say, I don't know how so-and-so does what they do. I don't neither. But I can tell you, I can't do it in and of myself. We do it of Christ. For it's by His power. Paul said that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We see this call into the world, no doubt, is foolish. But this counsel of God, this wisdom of God... This gospel of Christ, my friend, this glorious gospel is foolish to those that don't know it. To the unbeliever, it's nonsense to them. You see, this gospel, this whole counsel of God is great wisdom which the world knows not. For we see in verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. You see this counsel of God, this divine mystery, this wisdom of God, this glorious gospel is foolishness to many because they do not know it. But we see this wisdom. It's not man's wisdom, but it's divine wisdom. He said, We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of the world, nor of the prince of this world that come naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even this hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world and our glory which none of the princes of this world knew. Had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that loved Him. We see that this wisdom, this 
counsel of God is transcendent. It looks in, no doubt, and comes from things that are spiritual. A spiritual realm. It's not of the physical. It's not carnal. Eye hath not seen it. Ear has not heard it. It's not even entered into the heart of man. My friend, it's not of this world. It comes from God. It was before ordained, before the world even began, before time itself. This great wisdom and mystery, it is a mystery to many throughout the world today, but to the believer it is not. For we see that this counsel of God is spiritual. He said, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have it entered into the heart of men the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. But, in verse 10, God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. It is by His Spirit that the born-again believer can understand, perceive, and know these things. To many it's not entered into their ears, their minds, their heart. My friend of the child of God, by the Spirit of God, these things are not new to us. But His Spirit is soothing and calming and assuring in these wonderful matters. We preach about this glorious gospel and what God has in store for us yonder in glory land. And to many, they think it's a fable. Wives tell. They don't see it as great and blessed truth. But my friend, to you and I, with the Spirit of God, we see it as truth. It's spiritual. This counsel is. This gospel is. This great wisdom for what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man? Boy, there's a lot of... Notice the word spiritual or spirit in this passage. How much detail Paul gives. This spirit, it searcheth all things. It knoweth the things of man save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. This spirit not only searcheth but it knoweth as well. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. We might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. He that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It's amazing as Paul begins to decipher these things for the church there in Corinth begins to explain their great misunderstanding 
He gives in great detail this wisdom of God and how it is understood by the Spirit. As we'll see next week in chapter 3, there's a lot of people that can't take such wisdom as Paul would like to teach and to preach because they're not ready for it. They're childish. They're carnal. They're fleshly. They're young in their walk of faith. My friend, boy, that hits home to a lot of people. We see this great deal of reasoning in this chapter as Paul continues to reason with the church there in Corinth about this great difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. How much more superior God's wisdom is. His gospel is. His power is. When it comes to divisions, those things shouldn't matter. Amen.